Hello, fellow travelers. This is David Woods, your host and trusted guide. Welcome to our little fellowship as we gather to discuss the Christian life in a post-Christian world. We are broadcasting from Babylon with love. All right, everybody. So this is going to be part two of my conversation with Justin on the history of freedom. Uh, That does mean that if you haven't heard part one, it's pretty important or else you'll be even more lost than maybe usually you would be uh, on some of these podcasts. So listen to part one if you haven't already. But this is now part two where we are just taking up uh, kind of for the first time, the theological changes in the Middle Ages that fundamentally ended up reshaping our concept of freedom and and that lasted into the modern era. So this is the the critical turning point in the history of freedom as a concept. Um, So so high Middle Ages and and we're gonna be we're gonna be jumping right back into the middle of my conversation. So so no real gentle onboarding here, just right back into it and and I hope that Part one and part two held together. I hope this will create a narrative that that you'll be able to work through and hold on to. So please do enjoy uh, part two of the history of freedom. And and so trying to situate it in that, then it becomes this moment in let's say thirteenth, fourteenth century, where theologians. Um, start to argue, as theologians do in the Scholastic period. So the Scholastic period is an unbelievably nuanced, hyper-detailed, careful, Mm. painfully, painfully um, careful, rationalized project of theology. Mm -hmm. And it's a deep conversation and debate amongst theologians, by theologians, for theologians, right? Mm -hmm. It's, it's, It's sometimes the very worst thing in the world to read or try to read. And other times it's like, oh, Imagine people being able to think this deeply yeah. <laughs> for this long. Yeah, it's uh, like, isn't, isn't this isn't this supposed to be the Dark Ages? Yeah, this... so there's nothing dark about the Dark Ages. <laughs> just a little heads up. Um, in fact, there was almost too much light. It was yeah. like it's like they were going so far into the weeds that they ended up. They with almost some, found me. They almost found <laughs> Justin, just tripping out on CBD, oh, which isn't man. supposed to bother you that way. But I, I inject it. Oh my gosh! Do you do you do transfusions of young men's blood? Do you do um, that? Do you just no, I'm going to say I'm I'm just saving it till I got it. I got it. I got you gotta it. Get old first. It's, yeah, I got to get. I got to hit forty. All right, all right. I got once I hit forty, I got I got a whole freezer packed with the. Crap. <laughs> you got a freezer of young people's blood. Yeah. Oh, I, he's almost to forty. Yeah, says producer Lyle off into the corner. Lyle. Ouch. Six years, Lyle. Another zinger from Lyle over there. Lyle. Okay, so Lyle, Lyle, for those who no, 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 just, no, no, are no, just no, joining no. us, has never been wearing punching. pants, which is always strange. He's not wearing pants, never. and he's also been punching himself in never. the nose repeatedly <laughs> for the past half never hour. Never wearing pants, old Lyle. Okay, so because he's an autonomous this, individual. Before this gets completely. You start making this argument that ultimately um, you can't that that meaning itself is almost contained in expression, 
right? The idea of nominalism comes uh, through some of these, through two of these um, theologians, which, you know, in its best form is like a, a humility of the unknowableness of God, and you can't lay hold of transcendent realities as a mortal human being with a tiny brain. Mm-hmm. And so in some ways, it's like when you're brilliant and you think really, really, really long, you know you're an idiot, and, and there's this turn uh, to express that unknowingness that inability to really know anything and then you're aware of of human uh, vanity and hubris and the, the 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 way in which we act like we can know all sorts of things and we can see everything clearly and so in its most good faith form nominalism in part mm-hmm. comes as a place of of uh, intellectual humility and intellectual skepticism um, and out of an appreciation for the sovereignty of God. And out of appreciation of the sovereignty of God and taking seriously the scriptures that say, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts. Mm. You cannot know my mind. And these mm. are people whose lives are dedicated to studying and thinking about God and his thoughts and, and his expressions. And, mm. and so it's perfectly reasonable for them to get to that place and say, mm-hmm. no, there is no bridge between creature and creator. There is no mm. ability for us to know uh, the world in any coherent way, in the way that God knows and expresses the uh, yeah. things. So, nominalism, in a nutshell, what? Um, yeah, there is no transcendent reality. Um, there is a there there for theologians who believe in the Christian God. There is yeah, but that's a the reality. Problem. They don't believe in the Christian God. All right, which this is which is which is the whole this. problem. So what? They, they believe in the God of the philosophers. They believe in what? A, a, well, they create the God of the philosophers. A knowing principle, a knowing they, principle of all reality that they cannot know and cannot relate to. Um, who can only reveal? Uh, who can only? Okay, let's let's get it down to layman's terms and, and let's talk about voluntarism. So, okay. what what really ends up coming out of this for the practical mind is, it's it, it becomes about a way of understanding God. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like let's give up on understanding anything, um, but let's try to understand God according to His declarations, according mm-hmm. to what He seems to represent Himself to be. Um, we don't know if it's there's a real there there, but that's what we have is His mm-hmm. expressions. And in fact, that's what we have is His expressions. We just have His His will as it mm-hmm. has erupted into space and time. We just have His power, His acts, His deeds in Scripture. We have His interventions in history. We have His his uh, creating of all things. We really only have his expression of of power, of his mm-hmm. of his being there and creating and changing and judging mm-hmm. and all these kinds of things, right? And so it becomes a way of saying the most essential thing about God is God's will. That yep. that no one can say, oh, God ought to do this or he ought not do this. Or mm-hmm. there's nothing above God. There's nothing over God. There's no philosophy mm-hmm. that God is subservient to. That God is the only being who is utterly free from those constraints. Yeah. Well, and and if you you know, if you read, especially the Old Testament, mm. um, you know, without uh, looking at it through the lens of Christ mm. um, and just treating it as text, um, God's kind of a character. You know, he he seems to have a will and wrath and change, um, and, and, you know, he's capricious. Um, if you're just looking at it, you know, without a, a theological lens, shaping how to read the text. Right. So if you're muting things like covenant, if you're muting things mm-hmm. like relationality, and if you're muting things like 
covenant. Yeah. <laughs> if you're muting the the essential yeah. framework through which the scriptures ought to be read, and you're just looking at again as a series of acts, and yeah. and then God represents Himself in the Old Testament in particular, mm-hmm. um, according to very uh, different kinds of emotions, and yeah. and again translations are always problematic. But God regretted He did this, and He mm-hmm. did this instead. He, you know, so there's there's this like you know, anthropomorphic language. There's this yeah. emotion language. There's all sorts of expressions and what you see time and again is the only thing that that reading, which isn't a good reading, but the only Mm -hmm. thing that that reading can lay hold of as a consistency is God does what God wills. Yeah. And so he might do something different in the next instance than he did in the last instance. Mm-hmm. He might show mercy here where he didn't hear, and the only explanation is God does what God wills. The only thing mm-hmm. we know about God is he does what he wills. Yeah, and there's this idea that you know, if we say God can't do this mm-hmm. or that, that we have uh, degraded his sovereignty. We have somehow put something over him mm-hmm. that he is subservient to. We have yeah. limited him, and that is an impossibility, a yeah. logical and a theological impossibility to limit God in any way. Mm-hmm. So God becomes the the illimitable, the, the pure will to mm-hmm. power, the pure expression of yeah. will. And whatever God wills then becomes good, mm-hmm. because it's God. And so whatever he chooses mm-hmm. becomes good. And whatever he does and expresses is good. And it's will first, and then we know what's good by what he willed. Yeah. And, um, you know, a direct implication of that is that we sever God's will from his nature. We sever his acts from his nature. Okay. You know, we need to explain this, because this is basically the crux of the entire uh, talk we're doing here. Um, we sever his will from his nature. So what we do, what we need to do, it, it, we, need to, we need to explain... I think, how the classical world and Mm. the anti-Christian world understood freedom. Mm. And it is fundamentally different than what we've been talking about. Mm -hmm. Um, So how does, from Plato, um, the pre-Socratics would probably be a little different, but how does, from Plato to Augustine, um, how does... And all the way up to Aquinas. Okay, and up to Aquinas, right, because Aquinas is sort of the dissenting voice uh, against Scotus and Occam and the sort of controversy over nominalism yeah. and voluntarism. So Scotus is holding down the old ground. And the old ground is that there was a definition of freedom that had deep, deep, deep roots that were both classical and Christian. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that definition of freedom was what? Um, yeah, you are uh, most free when you are fulfilling that which you are. Um, Keep going. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so the, the way Aquinas uh, phrased it was as uh, freedom for excellence, basically. Uh, okay, but freedom for so is this positive yeah. liberty? Are we back um, to where we it started. Is, it is not because it is not determined by your will or the collective will or human will uh, at all. It's determined by what? It's determined by. I mean, it's it's ultimately determined by nature, uh, right? And in and in the grandest sense. Right, nature as God has given it life, yeah. purpose, trajectory, and fulfillment. Yeah. So every created thing, because it was created by a personal God, um, was created with an inherent telos or mm. goal. Yeah. Um, in the Christian narrative, right um, after Adam and Eve fall, that goal is not is no longer being realized regularly. But mm. God has not given up that goal. The whole point yeah. of salvation is to restore us to our nature, mm-hmm. to our goal, which is perfect communion with him, yeah. right? To reconcile us and put us back into right relationship with him. So all of the language of sin and everything that gets in the way of that 
has underneath it the fundamental idea and principle that a human being isn't fully human until they are in perfect communion with God, Mm -hmm. that they aren't fully what they are. Mm -hmm. And up to that point, they are half-formed, malformed, um, mm-hmm. Almost like the uh, the Gerasene demoniac cutting themselves with stones. Mm-hmm. Someone is like just self abuse. Just uh, Plato would say, you know, when your emotions are immoderate or out of control, right? It becomes an enslavement to yeah. your passions. You you lust in the moment. You stay up all night looking at porn. You get mm-hmm. nothing done. You get no sleep. You you give in to your basest self. You are not fulfilling what yeah. it means to be human. You are yeah. not even allowing your nature to be and to flourish. Yeah. You're acting against your nature. Yeah, you you are a slave uh, to impulse um, and you call that slavery um, freedom, negative freedom. Right. So then that's the great perversity of our time is what had always been understood in the classical and the Christian world as enslavement is what we mean when we say freedom. Mm -hmm. Um, So when we say, oh, you're free because you can choose, nobody in the classical or the Christian world would understand that that sentence was done or that your Mm -hmm. thought was complete, because for them, freedom wasn't just the freedom to choose, it was only true freedom if you chose the good. And the good is whatever is the right flourishing of what someone is, or what something ought to be. Um, Aristotle, I mean, so you could say this, there are a number of ways of talking about this, but the funnier ones are talking about nature as nature. So when they say something like a tree is perfectly free because it's being a tree and it's not yeah. trying to be a snail, yeah. right? Um, Chesterton has that great line where um, you might be free to draw a giraffe with a short neck, but you'll mm. then discover you have not drawn a giraffe, <laughs> right? <laughs> so, so this idea is that limitations, because they're inherent and mm. ultimate and grounded in God, yeah. are how freedom actually operates. If you want to draw a giraffe, you are limited by what giraffes are and what their nature must be expressed as. So you got something for me. Yeah, yeah. So I'm going to read um, David Bentley Hart uh, very eloquently uh, laying this out, laying out the classical vision of freedom. So true freedom is the realization of a complex nature in its proper ends, both natural and supernatural. It is the power of a thing to flourish to become ever more fully what it is. But to think of freedom thus, one must believe not only that we possess an actual nature, which must flourish to be free, but also that there is a transcendent good toward which that nature is oriented. To be fully free is to be joined to that end for which our natures were originally framed, and whatever separates us from that end, including even our own personal choices, is a form of bondage. We are free, that is to say, not because we can choose, but only when we have chosen well. Thus, ultimate liberation requires us to look to the son of the good, uh, which we'll return to in a moment. Um, Look to the son of the good in order to learn how to choose. Uh, But the more we emerge from illusion and caprice, and the more perfect our vision becomes, the less there is to choose because the will has become increasingly inalienable from its natural object, whether that object lies within or beyond itself. So first thing he says, and this is the reason we don't have this definition of freedom anymore, because you have to believe in two things. You have to believe that nature is really there and that there really is something called one's nature or nature itself. And then you have to believe that there's a transcendent direction, a telos or an ultimate purpose 
to which all created matter intends, mm -hmm. right? So there's two things you have to believe in that we no longer believe in. So it isn't in general. I mean, let's uh, mm -hmm. assuming we were consistent with, yeah. <laughs> with how we say we believe about reality. Um, so we no longer believe there is this thing, a nature, right? Mm -hmm. um, we believe that you are whatever you want to be. There yeah. is nothing inherent in you or I that we must be or that is telling us what I actually am. What I am is whatever I feel I am today. And whatever I want you to mm -hmm. call me, whatever I want to express myself as, it's pure will all the time, as mm -hmm. impulsive as it may be, as changeable and fluid as it may be. In fact, we love that about it, right? It's mm -hmm. this perfect kind of inconsistent self-expression at any moment is going to alter because there is no nature there. Mm -hmm. There is no referent to what a person is or must be. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, the second part is unless we are christian or classical or religious in general maybe mm -hmm. um we don't think there is a purpose or a goal mm -hmm. which we must strive to fulfill in order to be truly happy truly free truly realized or mm -hmm. flourishing um so those two things right we we've lost those two things along the way as a basic agreement amongst sort of yeah. our you know kind of society um so it makes perfect sense that this notion of freedom is completely foreign. Mm -hmm. It sounds very strange. One of the most mm -hmm. important things he says there and in that essay is it's it's progressive. In other mm -hmm. words, you uh, see more clearly the more you choose well. Yeah. It isn't this one-time moment, or I, I'm choose to be, you know, yeah. I'm going to become free or whatever. It is a constant act mm -hmm. of the will seeing, now this is the important thing, the will in this formation is not preeminent. It's not at yeah. the top of the hierarchy. The will is is second, posterior. It's mm -hmm. it's it's behind the object that it lay, lays hold of. So first, you would have to see that you have a nature. You have mm -hmm. to see that there is a world out there. You have to see that that nature has a trajectory and a transcendent telos. You'd have to see here, for example, mm -hmm. in the Christian context, how can they be saved unless someone tells them there is something called salvation? Right? Yeah. How could they even want to know Christ? if they've never heard of him. You have to see and lay hold of the good, right? In this case, Christ, your nature, the point of reality, the purpose of human so, existence. So we're, so we're evangelicals. If we, if yes, we, got, we if we got faith, um, we're, we're free then. If, if, we, if, if, we just, <laughs> if we believe, then we're free. Right, no. So <laughs> that's what's so helpful about the idea is that freedom is an ongoing process, cradle to grave, which we okay. never fully realize yeah. until we're in that perfect community. We are only free if we are virtuous. Yes. So we are, and, and, or we could say it in terms of John 8. Jesus says, you are only my disciples if you do what I say. Yeah. If you do what I say, then you will know the truth, and then the truth shall set you free. Yeah. So freedom is the result of obedience mm -hmm. to the divine command to fulfill the divine nature and the divine telos. And he says, You're, you have no part of me. If you, I mean, disciple, we know it means learner, con mm -hmm. constant student, someone who has never ultimately mastered this quite yet. Mm -hmm. Disciple, you are only my disciple if you obey my commands. Only when you obey my commands will you see the truth. Will you even be able to see mm -hmm. it, right? Yeah. So it begins with obedience. It begins yeah. with a submission to limitations based on the word of God and the direction of God. And then you can start to... It's, it's like, uh, oh, it's like Plato's yeah. uh, allegory of the cave. So why don't we make this yeah. connection here? Plato has this classic allegory of the cave. You probably heard the story. But the important imagery, which is inherent there in John 8 and many other places, but also in Hart's line about 
uh, laying the, hold yeah. of the son of the good. The son of the good, S-U-N. The son of the good is also a callback to Plato's allegory of the cave. Do you want to try to lay out the allegory of the yeah. cave? Give me the yeah, allegory. Let me, let me just lay it out. So imagine that you are um, naked in a cave. Your back is like pressed Lyle? up against a wall. Like Lyle? <laughs> Like Lyle, like on, Lyle on any given on Saturday any night. any given day? Um, okay. Yeah. On any given recording. Okay. So you are naked. Your back is... You're pressed up against a stone wall. Your back, you're, you're sitting down. You're shackled. Shackled. And By the uh, arms, the feet? Yeah, it just doesn't matter. You're and just, the you're neck. Not, you're not moving. Importantly, not also moving. the neck. Because um, you can't turn your head. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah, there are, there are other people lined up along the wall with you. Fellow but, prisoners. But you can sense them, but you can't really see them. Can't you can't turn your head. You can't look at them. What you can look at is the wall in front of you. Okay, cave wall. And on that wall uh, are shadows that are projected. Hmm. Because up behind you, and of course you don't know this, hmm. um, there is uh, a ledge, and walking on this ledge are people who are moving these cutouts, these puppets, basically, Weird. in front of a fire. Uh, which is um, creating these shadow puppets on the wall. And so you see um, cutouts of trees, cutouts of people, of horses. You don't know you're seeing cutouts. You're seeing the shadow that they've cast. You're seeing the shadow, and the shadow is all you've ever seen. Right. You were Uh, born there. He makes that point. Imagine from childhood you were in this position, shackled to the floor, staring at this wall. Um, it's, It's all you've ever seen. And so you don't know that this is awful. This is all you know. Right. Um, but let's say that one day, you know, there's an earthquake or something and your shackles fall off. <gasps> and and you find out that you can stand up. You find out that, oh, you, you kind of have this body. I'm bipedal. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> um, you probably learn a lot of things really quick. <laughs> and, but, but let's say that once, you know, once you're able to move, you you start to stumble around the cave and you see the fire. You see the people parading the uh, the cutouts. Now, first you're you you're going to be practically blinded by this fire, yeah. right? Just turning your head is going to be yeah. brutal. This is yeah. this is a, also an allegory of suffering, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so okay, at every every change, right? Standing up is going to feel unbelievably weird and yeah. probably painful. Turning, seeing the fire is going to be unbelievably disorienting. It's going to take a while to uh, acclimate your eyes yeah. to that. But then, as you're saying, you're yeah. going to see these people. If you, yeah, <laughs> if you persevere, if you don't turn back and go back to your wall, which would be much more comfortable. It would be way more comfortable yeah. because everything in your environment is designed to make you want to Including do that. Including the shape of your muscles and your bones <laughs> at that point, right? Everything is saying, "Sit back down and stare yeah. at the wall." Yeah. Okay. So if you persevere, you push through this pain. Yeah, you see that people have been constructing the things that you've been seeing. What the freak are these people doing, your, Justin? Your, your world has been what? constructed by other people. Puppeteers. What, what kind of sick freaks are these people? Okay, so you are realizing literally everything you've ever known has been a puppet show. Yeah. Uh, by other wills and intentions and agendas and mm-hmm. whatever whatever reasons they're doing that, you realize it is manufactured. It's artificial. Mm-hmm. Okay. Then what do you do? Um, you you keep stumbling around. Uh, you probably want to get away from them because yeah. they can't have good intentions No, these are psychopaths, you. yeah. <laughs> um, and, and if you're lucky, you, you, get, you find your way to the mouth of the cave. Further up and further, further out. Up, further up and further out <laughs> yeah. through the throat of the cave. Yeah. And, and then you, you see light that is 
so much brighter than the light of the fire um, that it's utterly terrifying. You don't want to rip your eyes out at that point. And if you've never, so so you're seeing, you're just seeing a little a little glimmer of sunlight reflected off of stones uh, at the mouth of the cave. Um, and it's the most painful thing your eyes will have ever taken in. So you're saying just staring at the ground. Just staring at the ground yeah. and not the sun itself. Right. But maybe your eyes begin to acclimate. Maybe you get some courage to figure out what is this painful, bright thing mm. um, that, that reminds me of the fire. Mm. Um, but then you, if you think about it, you realize, no, whatever this is, the fire should remind me of that. Ah, fire is some lesser version of this. Yes. It's related in some way, but... This is the ultimate source. And you step, you finally get the courage to go to the mouth of the cave and peer out. Mm. And the, you know, it's, it's the pain from, you know, the blindingness of reality. It's the worst thing that's ever happened to you. It's, yeah, it's absolutely, it's violent. It's a violence that's, um, that's being done to you. And most people will turn away, will shield their eyes, will stop looking. Go back. We'll go back. Yeah, any number of things. Um, and, but some people will will persevere. They will allow their eyes to adjust because they know that my eyes adjusted when I looked at the fire earlier. There's some slight precedence because this is a progression. This is a process. Yeah. There is something to call back to and say, okay, it's different. It's graduated. It's more. Mm-hmm. It's more intense. But this did happen in a lesser form with the fire. So maybe. Yeah. I can do and, this. And all along the way, you're choosing to do it. Right. As you're coming to be able to see more clearly. Right. Um, you know, seeing and doing are, are interlaced here. So eventually you're, you're out of the cave and your eyes are adjusted enough that it's not pure misery. Um, and then you begin to see the world. You see rocks. You see trees. You see a horse wandering through the field. Um, you see all the things. You see a person. You see yourself. Mm. You see all the things that uh, earlier had only been imitated by the shadows. The cardboard cutouts the or whatever these things were yeah. being created by. So you recognize their, their shapes maybe, mm-hmm. but you realize these are the things themselves. Mm-hmm. Those were this strange artificial parody or whatever. Yeah. And, and then you see this thing up in the sky that you can't look at because it feels like you'll die mm-hmm. if, you just, if you actually look at it. Um, and it's the sun, of course. And, and it's what's giving light and giving possibility for everything else to manifest itself to you. Um, so you're seeing the reality uh, of which everything that you'd known formerly was a pale imitation. And for Plato, this is, and, and the allegory is not done, mm-hmm. because ultimately you're not going to be self-indulgent. <laughs> yeah. You're going to try to go back and tell yeah. others, right? Um, but this allegory, this this great this image, this rational myth that you just described, um, is Plato's way of describing the way in which the soul is educated to see mm-hmm. the son of the good, in Hart's phrase, right? Mm-hmm. To see the transcendent reality of nature and mm-hmm. the transcendent purpose, ultimately, of the way in which the light gives light mm-hmm. to all things. Um, to lay hold of what is really real yeah. Um, at great time, pain, cost, mm-hmm. uh, any number of things, uh, slowly with that same learning to see by choosing the next yeah. good. And by choosing deeper participation. Right. And, and so the category of participation is, is absolutely crucial. You know, so he's able to recognize um, 
you know, what, you know, he's able to recognize, oh, that's a tree because he had seen the cutout of the tree, which right. was a, which participated in what the tree is. Resembled, was mm-hmm. like, but not the same as, but it was some connection where the mind yeah. can lay hold of yeah. what a tree is because it's seen something like that before. Yeah. Um, so, so there's like this, this sequence, right? Mm-hmm. There's this process of education, mm-hmm. the education of the soul. Um, again, back to John 8, the education mm-hmm. of the disciple. You will increase. You will, you can only be my disciple, be mm-hmm. and one who is souls is being educated. Yeah. Um, if you are obeying my commandments, step by step, yeah. one at a time, right in normal human will and decision making. Bonhoeffer um, puts this really really well in discipleship, um, where he says, if you want to obey, you need to have faith. If you want to have faith, you need to obey. Right. And and so it's that you know there's it's it's kind of this interwoven paradoxical thing where the more we obey, the more our sight is made true. Right. And the more our sight is made true, the more obedience becomes possible. Right. And that is what's sort of beautiful about the way the Lord has designed us and and related to us, is you do begin to see the truth. You do begin to experience your freedom, and then you desire to obey more because you Mm -hmm. see you're getting these glimpses, these acclimatizations. Because reality is good. Yeah, you're getting the fruit of that. You're getting your it's it's enjoyable to be connected to what's really there. Mm -hmm. It's enjoyable to have uh, your heart even exposed in Mm -hmm. honest ways to what it failed to see before, but now understands. It's it's inherently you know an enjoyable experience for people to learn to to. Had not having known something to come to know something, Plato's very clear, and the scriptures would would back him on this. It does mm-hmm. not come easily. Mm-hmm. It requires what Jesus <laughs> describes as carrying your cross, giving mm-hmm. up your way, uh, trusting in the midst of blind moments, trusting in the midst of pain, trusting in the midst mm-hmm. of as the allegory progresses of other people attacking you, of mm-hmm. being maligned, of not yeah. being popular, of not yeah. being agreed with. Right, like there's when, a whole world. When of you suffering. go back into the cave to help other people to come out, right? You know, they are only a handful of them are going to even attempt the journey. Everyone else is going to resent you, yeah, not believe you because you wouldn't have believed you, right? And yeah. So the process of suffering, the process of obedience, the process of of submitting your will to the good choosing mm-hmm. the good instead of what is easier not yeah. turning around not standing up not going mm-hmm. further out uh, and further up um, that is that language of, of of for us for of discipleship but that's that language of of true freedom so mm-hmm. there is a an explicit trajectory here and Hart lays this out but this is an, in our tradition any number of people have said the same thing um, where the more you experience obedience and the truth and the setting free the more you don't mm-hmm. have to decide to continue to go in that direction yeah um, we understand this maybe relationally um, I don't wake up every morning and have to decide whether or not um, I like having my kids around, right? Mm-hmm. There's certain things that I don't think about. Um, I'm a pastor of a church. I don't ever contemplate whether or not I'm going to go to church. Mm-hmm. Um, most people do. Most people, that's a decision, and, some, and they're tired, and it's a hard decision. For me, that decision was made 10, 15 years ago when I got called mm-hmm. into ministry. Is no longer one of the things I mm-hmm. have to choose. Um, it's just something I do. It's, some, it's literally who I am. I am a person who is at church, 
whether I even have obligations, I am... You don't even have to choose your clothes anymore. <laughs> As you know, if you know me, I don't choose my clothes. <laughs> my clothes have chosen me before all time. Um, so there is this incredible... But it is, it's the liberation of maturity. It's the liberation of love. It's the liberation of you... you know, and, and our culture is experiencing this in a practical way where we are more and more drawn to things that give us less options. Yeah. Right? Like we indulge so long in... In choice for the sake of choice, yeah. that it actually I think uh, Apple's so popular. I mean, okay, yeah, they do two or th- in and out does two or yeah. three things well, and you don't have to worry about looking at a menu of a thousand things. Um, producer Lyle was telling me uh, the Kierkegaard quote. I'm paraphrasing, mm-hmm. um, where he basically says that choice is sort of what produces. What's the line? Choice is what produces all of this agitation and anxiety to begin yeah. with. Yeah, anxiety is the dizziness we would say of negative freedom, yeah. right? This uh, when you can choose anything, people get overwhelmed, they get anxious, mm-hmm. they get depressed, they worry that they are always making the wrong choice. As soon as they choose one thing, they didn't choose a thousand other things. Fear of missing out, all this kind of stuff makes a sort of contemporary life almost unlivable for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Really anxious, right? Really difficult. And all of a sudden, the most successful brands even are yeah. those who are limiting our choices, doing one or two things really, mm-hmm. really well, and then we can almost calm down. We just like oh good i don't have to make every decision in the world i don't actually want to make every decision of the world and i don't want to actually have to make every decision of the world every time i wake up and so there is this this genuine experience of of rest of shalom of peace as you move in this sense toward the son of the good you Mm -hmm. you really you're not should i there's no point at at a certain point there is no question in the mind of the learner or the disciple of whether or not they're going to go back and shackle themselves to the cave yeah and and something that a lot of people seem not to get about this is that uh, it seems like oh well am am i going to become less me Right. Um, am I, you know, what's going to happen to my identity, my sense of self? And, you know, and, and the, the Christian and the classical answer to that is you weren't a self. You didn't have a self until you began this journey. And who you are is, you know, that self is becoming more concrete, more particular, more real, the closer it gets to the son of the good. Yeah, in the language of the scripture, our identity is hidden in Christ, and yeah. and the idea there is both proximate and relational. Mm-hmm. As you move toward Christ through obedience, in yeah. freedom, to no longer have to choose mm-hmm. whether or not I'm going to obey Christ today or follow Jesus or whatever, as you get closer and closer to the ultimate goal of perfect union mm-hmm. and communion with God, you discover who you are because yeah. your identity is not in your hands or in your shadowy internal private world yeah. or in how you expressed yourself to your neighbor the other day. Your identity is in Christ. He yeah. is is your telos, your creator, sustainer, your your alpha and your omega, your beginning and end, mm-hmm. and that end is a trajectory of fulfillment. Yeah, and it's an infinite trajectory, mm-hmm. and and so so yourself is expanding and growing infinitely, um, so long as you're on that journey. Uh, you know, with and toward Christ. Yeah, Lewis is always the best at images, and I always just think of Sarah Smith of Golders Green in um, in The Great Divorce, this woman of faithfulness, mm-hmm. pious, uh, unknown, never had children, always wanted children, but was the was mother to every child that mm-hmm. came by, was uh, mother to every animal that needed care, mm-hmm. um, always took care of everyone, and then when the traveler, which is Lewis, when he's in the place that is heaven, mm-hmm. and he sees this glorious, majestic, overwhelming, Mm-hmm. Like, like, literally, sort of large and and sort of yeah. capacious, huge being of light, mm-hmm. like 
proceeding down and 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 children or people just dancing around her and everything like that and he says what is this this is an angel or a god and the and his guide says that's sarah smith of golders green golders green is like this Uh poor neighborhood in in england at the time of impoverished lower class people and he goes that's sarah smith you would never have heard of her right Uh but she continued to proceed toward this ever expanding realization of who she was in Uh christ and this is what a glimpse of that looks like in the realm of the kingdom, right? In, in the kingdom yeah. of heaven, she is most fully human and mm-hmm. she is most glorious because she quietly pursued the mm-hmm. good at every turn, at every need, every neighbor, mm-hmm. every child, even if they weren't her own, she was mother to them, always yeah. caring for. And, and it's not like the intensity of that glow started when she died right. and, and goes to the beyond. It's, right. It's, you know, it's, it's there. manifest. It's, it's made it, manifest. It's there for anyone who's willing to look with the eyes of faith. Right. And... Yeah, she, uh, the widow with two, two mites or any number mm-hmm. of people, the Lord indicates their faith is an incredible thing here. And, and the crowds don't notice mm-hmm. them. They seem crippled. They seem, you know, inconsequential. Mm-hmm. They seem unimportant, uninfluential. And Christ says, there is true mm-hmm. faith. There is true faith. Seeing with the eyes of faith sees that glory even before it's made manifest in yeah. that way. So, so what went wrong? <laughs> Why... Why did, you know, with this incredible inheritance, yeah. why did William of Ockham decide, you know, there's no son? You know, I, and I, this is the same thing that happened with, with, with Calvin. It's the same thing that happened with perfectly good thinkers who mm-hmm. get any number of things right. Uh, for me, there's a moment of pure rationality mm-hmm. that fails. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a moment in which the mind and its scholastic uh step-by-step you know Mm -hmm. sort of syllogistic process Mm -hmm. leads to a place that is simply untrue because that is not what is preeminent yeah there is it isn't rationality as such in a vacuum that will Mm -hmm. lead us to the truth and and that's the mistake the enlightenment makes too but i think that's the mistake of of these scholastics in that Mm -hmm. moment is they are they are doing a almost purely theoretical exercise at some mm-hmm. point, and so it's inevitably false because it's mm-hmm. not relational. It's not mm-hmm. grounded in love. It's not grounded yeah. in communion. It's not grounded in literally the worship of the church, yeah. and it's not grounded in anything that is embodied faith, yeah. the incarnate God. It's just a pure reasoned principle that yeah. continues to go. Well, <laughs> and it's kind of like a photo negative of Gnosticism. Mm, in, in, yeah. a, in a certain way. Disembodied, yeah. 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 And, you know, it's, uh, it, it's rejecting, it, it's wild because it's, it's rejecting both the body and embodiment um, and the beyond and the realm beyond that's truer than this place. And, um, and, and yet, and again, we are evangelicals. And, yeah. and so it's always buttressed or maintained or given life because it, it masquerades as a defense of God. Mm-hmm. It, you know, it's really important. Like, we're always fighting a culture war, even if it's the 15th yeah. and the 14th century, right? Even if it's against Aquinas, yeah. we're fighting a culture <laughs> war, right? Where we're going to defend God at all costs, mm-hmm. right? And no one's going to tell God what God must do. And we're going to explain mm-hmm. to you that there's nothing sovereign over God. We're going to elevate God's will and his sovereignty as sheer power so that no mm-hmm. one can assail him. And we're basically the people with swords guarding the fence or whatever. Yeah. And it's clearly one of those moments where Jesus is like, put away your sword. Like, 
this mm-hmm. is going nowhere fast. Yeah. And this is going to go to a really dark place fast, too. And then it's going to mm-hmm. be secularized, and then people are not going to know why yeah. they let their friend die because they mm-hmm. thought that was somehow good to honor his will to die. Yeah. And, and, and so it's like, you know, we can say, like, oh theology right i mean this is yeah. what people do right christians do this mm-hmm. anti-intellectual like we have a evangelicals have an anti-intellectual tradition uh pastors don't need to be trained they just need to be nice people yeah who can love on people and take care and go on youth trips and whatever like there is this anti-intellectualism that says ideas don't matter what matters is this that and the other thing would that it were true but it's not true yeah right? i wouldn't uh, want it to be true like Okay. I, I, I mean, I mean, don't, you don't believe. Okay. That. Okay. 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 Come, I mean, I'm trying I mean, to come on. <laughs> okay. Okay. The anti-intellectual. I'm sorry. I have idea that is an idea. Okay. Yes, <laughs> but it is it is something that keeps us in dangerous and dumb places, yeah. and it has injured us at many turns because our world is fundamentally a product of Nietzsche, of mm. Occam of mm-hmm. SCOTUS, of any number of people that nobody mm-hmm. reads and many people don't even know about. <laughs> yep. um, our world is, is, a, is almost a direct product of many of these mm-hmm. ideas about yep. God. And, and then the secularized version of those ideas as its mm-hmm. final form, which is nihilism. Yeah. And, and we're left with only the shadows on the walls. Right. Right. Even though we have a suspicion that they're probably just shadows, right? Like yeah. we're we're left believing their shadows and not mm-hmm. knowing why we believe their yeah. shadows, but knowing their shadows and so mm-hmm. believing in nothing. Yeah. Right. Every shadow we know is some conspiracy of some weird guy mm-hmm. exerting power, and yet we can't see anything else. Yeah. Because and, there's nothing beyond that guy. Right. There's nothing beyond the the puppeteers. There's only the cave. Yeah. Yeah. There's only the cave and the puppeteers. Everything is just power expressions and perverse uh, coercion and things like this. But that is what's so unbelievably strange about a post-Christian moment. Yeah. We have all of the setup mm-hmm. and we have all of the self-awareness to yeah. some extent. And then we have the severance and the, yeah. the dissolution of the world outside and the whole mm-hmm. point of the allegory and the son of the good and the whole way in which we came to know any of those things, yeah. right? We've literally just cut the ladder from underneath our feet as we climbed into the air. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a pretty astonishing moment. Practically, uh, I think this has been practical, but I don't know that anyone will hear this as practical. Um, I think, to me, it, it just always comes back to John 8. Yeah. Um, you will only be free and mm-hmm. you will only know what's true good christian not by believing once raising mm-hmm. your hand not by going to a certain church or yeah. having a certain pastor or whatever by simple and painful obedience to christ to his command to the son of the good mm-hmm. by regularly worshiping in the community of faith, mm-hmm. by regularly being under the word, by constantly being in and around that which tells mm-hmm. you who you are and where you're supposed to be going with who you are. Yeah. Um, there is no other way to see more and more clearly, mm-hmm. to know the truth even of what Christ has said about the world. Uh, to act, it's one thing to believe mm-hmm. it and, and not see it. It's another thing to know that Christ has actually expected us to come to see it mm-hmm and believe it, right? It isn't some blind faith. It's meant to be a faith whose eyesight acclimatizes to the son of the good. You're meant to grow and mature constantly, as you said, this infinite expansion Mm -hmm. of communion. You never get to a point where you see everything, where you're in perfect harmony with reality and and God. And you will never get to the point where staring at the sun doesn't hurt. You're just going to like doing it more. Right, (laughs) right, right. (laughs) 
Yeah, and so there is this injunction on the Christian to, I think there's also an injunction here against self-righteousness mm-hmm. and against this culture warrior mentality of defending God when we ourselves are not obedient often enough to even see what is mm-hmm. true about ourselves, our neighbor, God's self, um, any number of things. It, it's like we are called to desperately reach for those in the cave and try to help get them out, mm-hmm. but only as those fellow travelers, only as broken, humble pilgrims with pretty bad eyesight, um, but with a desire and a, and a realization that there is this God and there is this reality and there is this world and this truth that we, what did Peter say? Where would we go? No one else has what you have. No one else is the son of the good, right? Mm -hmm. The S-O-N of the good. Uh, Only Mm -hmm. God is good, Jesus says, right? Mm -hmm. Who alone but God, right? And and Peter knows as a disciple, the only right answer when you don't understand something is to obey anyway, because where else would we go? We know too much Mm -hmm. to go anywhere else now. We Mm -hmm. can't, as Hart would say, we can't be good pagans anymore. We know too much to even go back there, we're left with nothing. Mm-hmm. It is, in his famous essay, it is Christ or nothing. Mm-hmm. There is no other option left, and and too often, even for our students, it's mm-hmm. nothing. Yeah. And finding ways to minister, to be a good neighbor, to live this out in such a way that mm-hmm. the those who have fallen into or thought that all they have is this nothing can see Christ mm-hmm. And I'm happy for them not to see any other options, but if it can be made clear that it really is Christ or nothing, uh, then I think that is compelling. I think Mm -hmm. it can be compelling. And I do think we need to kind of get over ourselves thinking that we can have some other middle ground or, Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, the polarization of this country shows you we can't even have like a state replace, you know, the throne as the good or like we can't agree on anything. And in some ways, that's just true, right? Mm-hmm. It's just an expression of us foundering on nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, so if the church is shrinking, if people are supposedly struggling with their faith and wondering all these things, you know, maybe the hope in that is that they're seeing what they had was not faith. Mm-hmm. They didn't have obedience, so they never saw what was true. Mm-hmm. They never laid hold of the good, but they could. Yeah. Um, the, there's always the extension of that grace and that mercy. Because really, if we're flipping Plato's cave, it's, it's, it's Jesus who yeah. was the one who broke free. Mm-hmm. It's Jesus who entered into the cave. It's Jesus yeah. who was born in shackles alongside mm-hmm. us in our place. It was mm-hmm. Jesus who had come back to get us, Jesus who would drag us out. Um, so there can be no end to hope because it wasn't one of us who suddenly got it. It was grace, it was Christ, it was his intervention that brought that moment of, of breaking of chains mm-hmm. and the achievement of true freedom, which is ultimately, in Augustine or anyone's formulation, no longer choosing anything at all, mm-hmm. simply being yeah. what you are, which is God's. Well, I think that's a epic place to put a pin in it. Um, thank you if you hung in there uh, for any number of uh, segments of this discussion of freedom. There's much more to say, but hopefully at least your curiosity was piqued and uh, there was some historical genealogy there worth thinking about. 
But again, we're always just also trying to ground it in what does it mean to live well yeah. today. And check the show notes for further reading on, on all of these issues. Yeah, absolutely. We'll link to any number of beautiful things which we happily pilloried along the way <laughs> and stole and robbed and parroted and everything else. Um, because and probably bastardized. Oh, well. my gosh. And could be had so much better if you, if you have time to sit and read anything. So uh, we will point you in all the good directions. Um, this is just our way of uh, kind of chopping it up and training around uh, but hopefully it gave some kind of picture of a radical tra- transformation in what freedom has come to mean and maybe some uh, interest in restoring uh, the Christian uh, vision of freedom and reality which is not only more rewarding but happens to be true thank you so much for joining us today everybody If you found any of this interesting, we do hope you will share the podcast, that you will rate us on iTunes with those five sweet stars, and and that you will subscribe, and that you will tell your friends and your neighbors and your relatives and your mother Lois to subscribe, and your sweet, sweet grandmother, old grandmother Eunice. Eunice should definitely subscribe. Until next time, may you live well. Think well and love well. Godspeed.